Well, hey everyone, good to be with you. My name is John Alexander. If we haven't met before, I serve at another church here in Minnesota, and uh, this isn't my first time here. I I just got to say, every time I'm here, it feels like a second home. I love it, and I'm so excited to be in the community of the Championship Girls St. Michael Alberville State Champions basketball team. I just found out myself. I mean, come on. That's that's a big deal. That's that's no joke. I hope you guys are celebrating that. You know, I live way over in White Bear Lake and our boys basketball team made the the state tournament for the first time in 23 years. Okay, so we're excited about that, but you guys actually won it. That's incredible. Um, I don't think we will, but hey, I don't know. (laughs) Hey, today we are in the fifth week of a collection of talks around here that we're calling the famous last words. You you ever wonder what you would want your last words to be? Or maybe you've had a moment where you thought, okay, that's going to be my last words because my life is about to end. Uh, My wife, Emily, and I have been married for almost 15 years. It'll be 15 years this August. I've come to learn that one of the things to not mess around with her about is food, okay? So Emily's a seven on the Enneagram. She's a yellow in temperament. So if you don't know what any of that means, no big deal. It just means that my wife loves parties. She loves fun. She never knows what time it is. She always wants to stay till the very end and she wants more of everything. So when it comes to good food, my wife Emily wants more of it. I visit the Dunn Brothers in Hugo, Minnesota, where I live so often. Every time I pull up, Jody, uh, who runs the shop over there, will ask before I order, does your wife want two almond Kringlers today? Because if I bring home just one almond Kringler, and if you never had an almond Kringler, I'm telling you you're missing out, but Emily will say, if I bring home just one, before even saying thank you, where's the second one? Without question, she put almond Kringlers in the top five things she loves most in life, but it's, but it's not her top love. No, let's be clear, and I want to give her credit because she will speak here later this summer. Uh, Her top love is Jesus, of course, but a very close second is pizza, okay? Maybe like tied with family. In fact, one of the first fights I remember us having as a married couple was, no joke, over pizza. Early on in our marriage, Emily cooked a gourmet meal for us. I was grateful for it, a frozen Jack's pizza. (laughs) And when she served it, She gave me half and she took the other half. Now, listen, I'm all about equality in marriage, but I'm a foot taller and like 75 pounds heavier than her. So basic biology, my body needs more food than hers. So when I got kind of quiet with half this pizza sitting in my, my plate, Emily asked, what's wrong? I said, well, you made one pizza and you split it right down the middle. Wouldn't it make more sense to to give me like two thirds and maybe you take one third. Emily said, no, you're lucky you even got half. (laughs) Okay, then she she gave me this look that made me think my life was about to end. My last words would have been about debating the equality of a pizza, not quite the way I'd want to go. Now this series is all about the famous last words of Jesus and we've been studying the gospel of John. A majority of this book covers the final week of Jesus' Life And so we get to John chapter 15, and we get to this point where Jesus has just finished sharing the Last Supper with his disciples. And they're now on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is eventually going to be betrayed, arrested, and taken to his death by crucifixion 
on a cross and the disciples are getting the vibe from Jesus that, that it's all about to come to an end. Now, they're not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but Jesus knows. And, and that's why he's adamant about leaving them with some of the most important words that he wants them to remember. So we picked up 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Any God-fearing Jew would have understood this reference, but they never would have expected a person to say that they were the true vine. They would have considered Israel to be the true vine. See, Israel was made up of God's chosen people. And anyone who was born a Jew would have been grafted into this true vine and would have become one of God's chosen people by nature of birth to bear fruit for the world. So therefore, even the disciples who'd been with Jesus for three years would have been shocked by this statement. Wait, is he saying that he is the true vine now? That the way to God is now through him? That's shocking. And that's exactly what he's saying. He goes on the rest of verse one and said, my father is the gardener. Verse five, he says, you are the branches. Before you go any further, let's make sure we understand this metaphor. And I love this teaching I saw from another pastor, Kevin Queen, great teacher in Nashville. And he pointed out there are three key foundational spiritual truths in this metaphor. The first is Jesus, if you're taking notes, Jesus is the vine. Okay, Jesus is the vine. The second truth is that God is the gardener. And the third truth is that you we are the branches. Now, unless you grew up Baptist and had to pretend like you didn't ever drink wine, this analogy is going to work really well for a lot of you who, you know, maybe have a little wine now and then. But as the disciples left the upper room and headed on this road to Gethsemane, almost certainly the roads would have been lined with vineyards that were there to produce grapes that eventually led to wine. Now, just so we understand, the vine is the trunk, okay? It's everything from the roots through the main part of the bush. Oftentimes we think the vine is just those little things that weave through the trellis. No, it's the root and the trunk, the main part of the bush. God is the gardener. He's the one who's responsible for tending to this vineyard. The gardener has one job to do is to get as much fruit out of this vineyard as possible. And again, we are the branches. These are those little limbs that are connected to the vine and the, the branches produce fruit. Of course, to produce fruit, branches need nourishment and air and, and sun. They need to be pruned and taken care of. So the gardener, God, works to produce as much fruit as he possibly can from the branches. I mean, that's kind of a funny term, though, fruit. Uh, if you've grown up at in church at all, read the Bible at all, maybe you've heard this, you know, we're supposed to produce fruit. Kind of funny. But we're not talking about, like, strawberries and blueberries. No, the fruit of our lives is best described in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruits of the Spirit are things like love and joy 
peace, forbearance, or patience. Kindness, again, these are the things that are hanging off our branch. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are our fruit. It's our actions. Our fruit is the way we drive away from here today. Our fruit is the kinds of things that people say about us when we leave a room. It's our, it's our posture and it's our behavior. It's our attitude. It's our life. Our fruit is what is displayed on our branches in our lives. A little over a month ago, our sixth grade boys uh, traveling basketball team that I coach got invited to play in an additional tournament. Now, if you're part of these, you get like 10 tournaments. And then, of course, like any open weekend, they want to do more of it. So <laughs> we just signed up for this additional tournament. I was, you know, great, let's play it. But this tournament was at Legacy Christian Academy in Andover. It's a great school. Maybe you have kids who go there. Maybe you're part of it. Fantastic school. But see, my boss's kids go there. And my boss is the senior pastor of our church. And one of his kids... Uh, plays on the team that we were going to play in that tournament. We'd already played their team once and they had destroyed us. It was kind of embarrassing. I had to show up to work like, oh man, your team killed ours. Huh, that was super fun, right? So the next game, I had our boys amped up and ready. It was an 8 a.m. game. Okay, we were playing Legacy at Legacy, 8 a.m. And you know how hard it is to get like preteen boys to wake up and get ready to play. But I was amped, trying to get them pumped up. Long story short, and I won't bore you with the details, but bear with me because I'm going to give you the details. <laughs> we were down two with 15 seconds left and we managed to tie it up, which is miraculous in and of itself because they rarely score points, but we tied it up. And then with three seconds to go... With three seconds to go, one of their kids hit a step-back three-pointer to win it. And I was mad, okay? I'm not like yelling at the refs mad. That's not who I am, really. But internally, I was seething. Half the parents in that crowd know me as one of their pastors. The other half know I'm the pastor of these kids and families. But at this point, I can just barely walk through the line. I'm so mad. Now, did we get absolutely homered on their home court? Yes, we did. Did the refs miss a dozen calls to their benefit because they're their teachers in school? Yes, okay. Did that kid who made the three-pointer intentionally try to ruin my life? Yes, he did. <sighs> <laughs> See, my fruit that day wasn't, wasn't pretty. It was, it was rotten, spoiled inside. But later that night, I was doing some reflecting on the day, and I realized that I had been incredibly frazzled and tired going into that weekend. I had a tough week at work and stuff with family, and because of all that stuff, my time with the vine, with God, had been limited. It had been shortened. See, I wasn't connected to the vine, and my fruit had rotted quickly as a result. 99% of the time, I would have been laughing, enjoying myself as a coach of these kids that I love. Heck, even the other, kids team, uh, the other kid on the team that hit that three-pointer is a kid I've known for four or five years. He plays on my son's baseball team. I love this kid. I just had nothing to offer, nothing to offer in a positive way. And the short answer why, and maybe you can relate to stories like this, but the short answer for me 
was that I was not connected to the vine and my fruit was rotten. Jesus says this, I am the vine. Again, you, we are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You'll have those fruits of the spirit that we talked about if you remain in me, but apart from me, you can do nothing. See, as a branch, we can't bear fruit without remaining or abiding in the vine, the true vine. And notice these words, apart from me, you can do nothing. I've read this hundreds of times and it still shocks me. The word has actually haunted me lately, this word nothing. Sometimes we think we can dig deep, try hard, do more. We can read the latest self-help book or watch the latest life hack guru on TikTok. And you know what? We actually might produce some fruit from that for a while. We might. It does work. But some of you know this the hard way. While that fruit might happen, it won't last. See, on our own, that kind of fruit eventually withers up and dies. The kind of fruit that every single human being, whether they know Jesus or not, the kind of fruit that every single human being longs for, every person in that room, it's the kind of fruit we all want. It's joy in the face of trouble. It's hope despite despair. It's feeling a sense of peace even when the world seems to be falling apart. The kind of fruit that we all desperately want. See, it's not dependent on our circumstances or what we can do on our own. It's dependent on our connection to the vine. Now to set this up, I don't think there's like a one step and and then we're done type of thing. Like suddenly we're connected and we're good. No, I think evaluating and assessing our connection to the vine is going to be a lifelong process that requires ongoing intentionality. So I wanna give all of us four questions to wrestle with, not just today, not just this week, but for the rest of our lives. And the first question is this, are there any, again, if you're taking notes, imitation vines that I'm connected to. One of the things that stuck out to me was Jesus saying that I am the true vine. In other words, there are false vines, fake vines, untrue vines, imitation vines. This might be anything that we've attempted to put our hope in and derive our worth from. Anything that we attempt to make a source of power in our lives to receive from. And I think any of us could honestly say that at times we've attempted to connect to imitation vines. What, what kind of imitation vines might those be? Well, it's, you know, our spouse. We just put our hope in our spouse. Like the more that they're filled with joy, the more we feel filled with joy. And so we try to connect to them. Maybe it's our kids. The more success they have, the better I feel. Or it's our jobs or money. For many of us, it, it, it's our health. Maybe it's our vices, those things we turn to when we're feeling a lack of some of that fruit. It's, you know, binging Netflix or drinking. Maybe it's social media, our security. 
And if my life could just be certain and secure, then I would feel the kinds of things that I'm, I'm meant to feel. And I gotta say, it's not entirely our fault. I'm not trying to pass the blame on anyone else here, but I just want you to know it's not entirely your, fa- your fault. The world bombards us with a constant message that says, if you get this, if you connect to that, if you finally achieve, then, then you'll found what you're looking for. And that message, you guys know this, is non-stop. The problem, none of that leads to lasting fruit. Those are imitation vines. I'm embarrassed to tell you, but we used to eat turkey bacon. Like when we first got married, I realized (laughs) this is another like food story when we were first married. So it's getting weird. Why am I telling so many of those? I just, whatever, you know, but when we first got married, we had this George Foreman grill. I don't even know if they still make them. Maybe they do, but it's like all we cooked on. And maybe because it was cheaper or whatever, we used to grill turkey bacon on a George Foreman grill. Now, I'm not even sure how they're allowed to call it bacon when it's made of turkey. That doesn't make any sense to me. But once we graduated to real bacon, there's no turning back. Turkey bacon is some fake imitation of one one of God's greatest gifts to humanity, which is like real bacon. The same is true with the vine. Jesus is the true vine. He's not an imitation or a fake. But those other things try to imitate the true vine of Jesus. Uh, uh, It's not our spouse. It's not our kids. It's not our jobs or our health. Jesus is the true vine. So ask yourself ongoing, are there any imitation vines that I'm connected to? Second question is this, what, what does my branch look like right now in this moment? Verse eight, Jesus says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves, showing yourselves, there it is, to be my disciples. You are a branch and the people around you know whether you are a good branch or not. People can see whether we are bearing fruit, good fruit or not. So ask yourself, and it feels simple, but ask yourself, what does my branch look like right now in this moment? Or if you aren't sure, ask someone else, you know, what what kind of things are you seeing in my life? How does my branch look? Make sure you explain the context because they're gonna think you're a total weirdo if you just ask them about your branch, okay? But you know what I mean, ask someone else if you can't honestly assess yourself. Here's a problem for me as I reflected on this question. I'm often preaching to myself, by the way. But for me, I can get so consumed with dreaming about the kind of person I want to be in the future that I forget to actually be that kind of person right now in this moment. Here's how that plays out for me, I love consuming information. I love reading. My dream vacation is to go somewhere warm, of course, get out of the cold, go somewhere warm and pack like 12 books to read, even on family vacations. And we've got two younger kids. I'm totally delusional about how much time I'll have for myself to read, but I still, you know, end up packing way too many books because I just envision quiet time on the beach, you know, reading books. And of course my kids never let me do that. 
But I just love thinking about the future and dreaming about the kind of person that I'm going to become someday. And the problem with this is that I get so caught up in what could be that I forget that I, I already am. You know, for me, I might think that one day I'll be, you know, super generous. And I, we really do try to live generous lives, but I think like, I'm going to take it to the next level one day. Or maybe I'll, I'll dream that one day I'll be even more bold and more courageous as a leader. Or maybe, you know, I'll dream about laughing and being full of joy with my kids so they have great memories at night when they argue for the hundredth time about going to bed or, you know, the bedtime routine that we've talked about a thousand times. I just dream that like one day I'll be that, that type of person. But the question I've started to ask myself is, why not right now? I mean, what kind of life am I living right now? How does my branch look right now? Middle school, high school students, college students, young adults, don't wait for some future moment. Think about how your life looks right now. As followers of Christ, if you are, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, if there's any defining quality of what our lives should be increasing in, it's really simply love. Jesus said this, that the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love or remain in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You want to take the easiest assessment of whether you are growing as a follower of Christ or not? Simply ask yourself, is my love for people increasing or decreasing? If you think that I'm always growing in my love for people because I'm a pastor, think again. I mean, I've had so many moments where I have to battle this. I'm beyond frustrated with people for what they post, what they say, what they do. I mean, one time for a message illustration for our church, I thought it would be fun to try to water ski for the very first time. And so we brought like a little camera out, like let's film John. I mean, he'll learn to water ski, take this chance. And I could explain why we were doing that, whatever. But the long and short of it is I couldn't. Okay, I couldn't water ski. I ended up hurting my hands and I got like a little scar. If you want to come up and look at it, it's like really tiny on my finger. I can show you, okay? I've got the wounds to prove it. But, but here's the deal. It was embarrassing. I'm embarrassed to even tell you I couldn't get up on water skis. Most people, when they saw this video, were either, you know, very kind, offering to take me out guaranteeing they could be the one to teach me how to water ski. Like, you're an athletic guy, you shouldn't be able to do it. Or some people just kindly made fun of me. Okay, both are totally legit. But one person wrote me a handwritten note that I couldn't water ski because my faith was weak. And I did not love that person when I read that letter, okay? <laughs> but when is my love increasing? When does our love grow? It's when we are daily connected to the one who loves us first. Do you know that God loves you deeply? It's a simple but incredibly profound message. See, I find that most people, they know that God loves them theoretically, like, yeah, okay, God loves me, but practically, do they feel it? No, I think most people, 
When given an opportunity to describe what God thinks of them isn't about love, they end up talking about disappointment or being less than. But I want you to hear me say, if you hear nothing else, that God loves you deeply. He cares about every little insignificant or significant detail of your life. And when we abide, which means to remain or stay connected to, when we abide in that kind of love and receive it, what happens is that love flows from us out to others. See, our love increases the more we receive God's love. By the way, we don't bear fruit for ourselves, for the Instagram, for our followers, for a resume, for our friends. No, we bear fruit for the glory of God. When our lives produce good fruit, the Father is glorified. That means he's proud and glory goes back to him. And this world sees something different in us. I mean, they start thinking, what's that person, God, that I don't have? Why do they seem so full of hope when no one else seems to have any hope? Why do they have joy when everyone else is angry? Why do they love that person who's really difficult to love when everyone else seems to be hating? And again, it's not because we're a good little branch doing it on our own. No, no, it's because we are connected to the vine and we are receiving the love of God and pouring it out for others. So ask yourself, how's my branch? Which leads to the third question. What, what is God pruning in my life? Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. As we read this, Either way, whether we're producing bad fruit or good fruit, God is going to prune. He takes away the stuff that's dead and he cuts back on the things that are good. Why? So that our lives can grow even more. I once heard another pastor talk about how vineyards and vines are maintained and it's not like they take these little, you know, handheld kitchen scissors and snip away. No, they take big old shears and hack on these branches to cut them back and prune the vineyard for ultimate health. In other words, pruning is not easy. Pruning is painful. Um, the very first job that I tried to get hired for, we, my wife and I believe strongly that, that God was going to provide this job that that was at a church that my wife was already working at. And we just had this dream of like, wouldn't it be amazing to be in ministry together? And you're already working at this church and they have an opening. Of course, they're gonna hire me. They love you. I know the senior leaders. But at the end of the process, they decided not to offer me the job. And when I didn't get the job, I was devastated. I just thought, man, you're making a huge mistake. This was supposed to happen. What are you not seeing? But a few years later, looking back on that, I realized that was the best thing they could do for me. I needed a lot of things pruned from my life. See, back then I was a 24-year-old, you know, arrogant, proud, immature, 
person who probably wasn't really ready for the job that they had opened. God needed to cut back on some things in my life before he could use me for something else. Currently, I think God is pruning my need for control. I think many of us could say that based on the last three years. I've had so much happen to me in the last three years that feel totally out of my control. And I can see how God has pruned my desire for security, my desire for comfort, and at times ease by giving me these opportunities to draw closer to him in the midst of insecurity and discomfort and uncertainty. And every time God has pruned something, even though painful, I have a choice in those moments. I have a choice that I can latch onto one of those imitation vines or I can choose to abide in the one true vine. And looking back over the last couple of years, although not perfect clearly, and the temptation can be overwhelming to attach yourself to those imitation vines, those other places, I've allowed those seasons of discomfort to teach me to abide in him. So let me ask you, what is God pruning in your life? For some, it, it might involve a job. Maybe you lost a job or, or didn't get the promotion that you hoped for. It feels like God is cutting something back. Maybe it's the waywardness of a son or daughter. Maybe it's not making the team that you, you thought you would or not having the kind of financial security that you had hoped for. Maybe it's it's not getting the thing that you've been asking God for for quite some time and for whatever reason, it just, just feels like God is pruning and it feels painful. Let me just say to you, don't, don't be afraid of it. I know it's all hindsight on the other side of things, maybe you'll see why, but in the midst of it, what I've learned is to not be afraid of pruning. If you sense that God is cutting something off or cutting something back in your life, recognize instead of being afraid that maybe it's a sign that God is preparing you for something even more. What do you do in a season of pruning? Abide. Draw closer to Jesus. Connect yourself to the true vine. Which leads to the fourth and final question, and it's this, am I abiding in the true vine? Remember, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing, nothing of eternal value, nothing of eternal significance, nothing of lasting change, nothing. And then he says this, if you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, this isn't like a genie in a bottle situation, okay, where he's gonna grant you three wishes. But if we stay connected to the vine, suddenly our desires have become his desires. No mincing words here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And abiding in Jesus, we can do anything. During Jesus' last week, he's you know, setting up the disciples for what's gonna be a really difficult road ahead. Each one of these disciples was gonna face extreme suffering and difficulty. 
but he didn't give them like a strategic plan or a five-year vision, nothing wrong with those things. But what he chose to leave them with was simply abide in me, remain in me. How do we abide in Jesus? It's to build a friendship with him. To be friends with Jesus means you, you, you got to talk to him. You care about his life and, and read about his life. You ask him questions and then get this, you listen. You listen to how he answers you. You tell him about your life, every little detail. It means you spend time with him. Now, I don't know what today holds. This is one of the lessons I've learned over the last three years. I, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what your next week or your next month or the next year holds for you, but here's what I do know. Without a shadow of a doubt, the way ahead for all of us, the way ahead for all of us will be determined by how well we abide in Jesus. Will we choose to abide in him or will we, we pick some other imitation vines? Every life here in this room or watching online is a branch. And it's a branch that shows itself to our friends and our families and our neighbors and our coworkers, the world. And so the question is, what kind of branch will you be? What kind of branch will I be? Will I be a branch that's full of the good stuff, you know? Peace and self-control and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness? Or will I be a branch that's full of kind of that rotten fruit? It's a question for all of us, but here is the best news of all that I'm gonna leave you with. The good fruit won't be grown because of our effort, because of our good deeds or try hard attitude, no. See, the gospel, the good news is all about this truth. The good fruit will be grown in our lives as we receive the love of Jesus, the love that he receives from the Father, this overwhelming love as we receive that love and as we choose to abide in the true vine and remain connected to him, only then, only then are we able to produce kind of fruit that God wants us to produce. All right, let me pray for everyone here. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for that truth. I think so often we're left with this uh, feeling that we haven't done enough. This feeling that I've messed up, I've failed, I only I could, if only I had enough. But what's so incredible about the truth, the truth from your word, from the things you have spoken, is at the end of the day, it's, it's not about us. It's about you. And it feels so countercultural because we want those 10 steps. We want the next thing. We want the ways that we can grow. Again, nothing wrong with those things, but the way to lasting change, the way to lasting fruit is by being connected to you. And so for every person here, I pray that they would receive your love. Remind them of your love in their heart, their soul, their mind, 
that they would experience your love. And so from that, from that, God, from receiving that love, we'd be able to produce the kind of life that you want us to live. I pray specifically for those people who are going through a season of pruning. I, I know all too well what that, that feels like when things aren't going the way you had hoped, when things are being removed or taken away. And while those things aren't always from you, God, I know that you can use anything for your good. And so during these times, these seasons of pruning, I pray for every person that they would choose not to attach themselves to the imitation vines, the things that give us that quick rush of feeling like things are okay. Instead, that we would learn to turn to you and we'd be patient and understanding and understand that on the other side of the season of pruning, God, you've got something good. Hard to see, but I pray that you give people patience to experience that good fruit in the season of pruning. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for you. Help us all to connect to you in the coming days. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.